Up next, this investigation is off to a shaky start. This is a whole different type of autopsy because of the condition of his body. A lot of valuable time and clues have been lost. As time goes on, you can lose DNA evidence, you can lose witnesses. Detectives fear a killer won't be caught until his own words seal his fate. Does bleach kill skin cells? In 26 years, I've never had the killer's voice basically admitting what he did right there on audio. Founded in 1642, Warwick, Rhode Island is one of the oldest cities in America, a place long defined by its proximity to the Atlantic Ocean. We have so much coastline that water life is inherent to everybody who lives here. I know so many people that have a boat. So obviously in the summer, that's when people are out on their boats and they're parked at marinas, dinghies, all sorts of you know apparatus related to the boats. Countless boats and lives have been lost to the sea over the decades, many falling victim to volatile weather. From the West Bay Mobile Newsroom, Eyewitness News moves to West Warwick, where we're getting a great look of the storm that we've never seen before. On August 4, 2015, a weather phenomenon known as a macroburst devastated the area. This was an unusual event. My guess is they were in the range of 90 to 120 mile an hour winds. The only way I can think of describing it, sort of a mini tornado. A storm with this kind of power wreaked havoc on many boats along the coast. It was chaotic. The microburst had everything out of sorts. It wasn't uncommon for boats to be pulled off their mooring or taken off their anchor. So when, in the aftermath of the storm, the local harbor master saw a 26-foot sailboat called the Star Capella, floating off the shore. He didn't think much of it. The boat was dragging anchor. Of course, he called out before he boarded the boat. Nobody answered. So he took the boat, put it onto one of the city moorings. Uh, before he did that, he checked the boat, looked in, saw a lot of debris, cushions, no signs of anybody uh, in the boat. The harbor master towed the boat to a mooring for safekeeping. No one claimed it. When he came back 11 days later, he noticed something unusual. There was a very foul odor coming from the boat. So he boarded it to see if he can find out where that smell was coming from. The smell was coming from a badly decomposed human body, covered up with a jumble of material from inside the boat. The body wasn't found during the initial search because the harbor master hadn't expected to find anyone on board, and also because the body was covered with debris. We could not tell if the body was a male or female, uh, age, race. The prior two weeks to that point had been in the uh, mid-80s to lower 90s, so the weather and the conditions did not help in our investigation. The body was so decomposed, detectives couldn't even tell how or when the victim died. Was the death something that was completely uh, accidental? Or was this the result of some other act 
uh, possibly even a homicide. The medical examiner was presented with a body nearly devoid of identifying features. Our number one challenge in this case is I don't know who this is. After we undressed the body, we could tell it had male features, and that's basically all we can say. We don't know the age, we don't know the race, and obviously fingerprints are no longer there. They had decomposed away, they'd melted away. A full autopsy showed the victim had broken ribs. Despite the decomposition, bruising was found deep in the victim's skull. But these findings didn't necessarily indicate foul play. After all, the macroburst storm was unusually powerful. Could it have been that the boat was knocked around so much that the person could have slipped and fallen, hit their head, and then things landed on them? Was he murdered and then covered up? Or was it just an accident in really bad weather? A key finding put the accident theory to rest. The victim's hyoid bone, a floating bone located in the neck, was broken. That would not have happened accidentally. It was a true fracture. This one little bone will tell me that there was significant pressure applied to the neck and he was basically strangled. Doctors and detectives now knew their victim had been murdered. The problem was days had passed and they still had no idea who he was. About the only thing detectives knew about their murder victim was that he was a male and not young. They combed area missing persons records and found no one who fit this admittedly broad description. Even worse, a lot of time had passed since the murder, a significant setback for any investigation. They knew they had already been at least 10 days removed from when this uh, murder may have occurred. So they, they knew the clock was ticking. So there was a lot of catch-up to do in order to find out some of these things to figure out exactly what it is that happened. The boat belonged to a 70-year-old man named Fernando Silva. Police contacted his brother, who hadn't heard from him for days, but was able to provide valuable information. We were able to actually pinpoint a date and a time that his boat was docked at a marina, and we began our investigation at that location. Now that detectives knew where the boat was docked before the macroburst storm, they had a starting point. They questioned a man who worked security at that marina. He was able to confirm that the boat in question was entered several times by two young males at very odd hours, being very early in the morning. And he stated that he questioned them on uh, about three different occasions. These two men, the security man didn't know them, said they were helping a man who identified himself as Freddy install a new engine. They came back repeatedly in the days before the macroburst storm to continue their work. They came back with what appeared to be a new motor, but they weren't too mechanically savvy and were unable to get the boat started. Detectives needed to identify these two men. But first, they had to see if the dead man in the morgue was Fernando Silva. Many people recognized the name. They knew a Navy veteran nicknamed Captain Freddy who was a regular on the docks. Freddy, where are you headed? Captain Freddy was sort of a a maritime vagabond, I would say. He had no experience with boats, fell in love with boats, and wasn't really sure what what to do with them. 
other than to be on them. He lived on his boat. Freddie chronicled his feelings in a book he was writing called The Blessed Voyage. He was such a character that even local filmmakers got him to tell his story. I bought it because it was actually bigger than the car. I uh, the car was falling apart, but I just abandoned it yeah. in the parking lot, and I walked all the way back to the boat, and that was the end of that. Dental records were found and matched dental x-rays from the victim. A DNA comparison with a known relative confirmed his identity. It was Mr. Fernando Silva, um, sometimes called Captain Freddy, uh, to his friends at the marina. We have a definite forensic method for identifying him. Now that police knew who Captain Freddy was, they backtracked him in the days leading to the macroburst storm that sent his boat out to sea. Four nights before that storm, Captain Freddy won several hundred dollars playing Kino, a legal computer gambling game found all over the region. He was known as being very lucky, and uh, in the establishments that he frequented, they all knew him as playing that uh, very often. Shortly before the storm, Captain Freddy hit it big playing Kino, and he let a lot of people know it. He didn't have very much money, so when he struck it, in his mind, he hit the jackpot. This was a big, big win for him, and uh, he was excited about it. But when Captain Freddy was found dead, that money was gone. It wasn't in his boat or with his body. The captain didn't have much, but it appeared what little he had may have led to his murder. A couple people saw that he won, and ultimately, their knowledge of him winning that money uh, might have led to the crime. After Captain Freddie Silva's boat was found at sea during a severe summer storm, it was towed back to a local marina. Detectives traced the boat back to where it was originally docked and discovered that two unknown men had spent a lot of time on the captain's boat in the days after he went missing. In a crucial break for investigators, these men were recorded by surveillance cameras. I was going through basically two weeks of video, 24 hours a day, seven days a week which was about 20,000 video files. You really have to look at everything because we don't know what happened, how it happened, and that necessarily these two were necessarily the ones involved. People at the marina told detectives that one of these men might be Troy Gunderway, a local man, a petty criminal, almost instantly recognizable because of the large eye tattooed on his skull. Troy Gunderway was a resident of Warwick who had been in and out of prison. He had worked odds and end jobs uh, when he wasn't uh, incarcerated. And further investigation learned that Troy Gundaway had known Fernando Silva prior to the murder and that he, in fact, had assisted Fernando in attempting to get a motor for that boat on a previous date. Detectives asked Troy Gundaway about the other man who was seen working with him on Captain Freddy's boat. Mr. Gundaway said that he was with a friend that he called Big Red, and he believes his real name was Rich. After a little digging, detectives came up with the name Richard Baribolt. Richard Baribolt had 
had uh, several run-ins with the police. He had served approximately uh, a quarter of his life behind bars. Uh, most of it was drug-related, alcohol-related, and domestic abuse-related. A further background check showed Barabolt had a suspended driver's license, and he was driving a pickup truck that might or might not be the one in this surveillance video shot near the marina where the captain docked his boat. On the night that we believe Captain Freddy uh, was killed, a maroon pickup truck with the same sticker pattern as found on Mr. Barabolt's pickup truck left the marina at pretty much the time that we thought the incident had occurred. Now that detectives knew who Barabolt was, they simply waited until he got behind the wheel and pulled him over. At which point he was arrested for operating on a suspended license and operating a motor vehicle without registration. In one of Barabolt's pockets, they found a knife with a blade over three inches, in itself a violation of state law. Even worse for Barabolt, the knife appeared to have blood on it. I asked Mr. Barabolt if there would be any reason for blood to be on the knife. He said the only reasons would be his own blood, which he might have cut himself, or the blood of fish when he has gone fishing. The knife was sent out for testing. Barabolt admitted to police that he saw Freddy the night he died, but said Troy Gunderway had murdered the captain, not him. You know what this comes down to at this point is you're telling us, listen, I was there, he, he, you know, he, he did all the I don't know why the he was doing it. I tried to get him to stop. It's because he wanted money. Yeah, because he wanted money. The only discrepancy between your stories at this point, pretty much, is who the aggressor was. It was him. I'm telling you right now, it was him. I'm just telling you, that's the only discrepancy at this point. Who was the aggressor? Him, at this point. But what Barabolt didn't know was that investigators had a surprise piece of evidence, his own voice, trying to get information on how to cover up a murder. So in the search warrant, uh, when they search with Google through a voice search on the phone, it actually records your voice in your exact words. Where would Warwick Harbormaster take a towed boat? Troy Gunderway told police he and Richard Barabolt knew Captain Freddy was flush with cash after his wins at Kino, and their plan was to steal that money. So they decided that due to his age and the fact that he was on a boat and there probably wouldn't be anybody else around, they thought he'd be an easy target to rob. Barabolt and Gunderway pointed fingers at each other as Captain Freddy's killer. Detectives thought both men were involved, but they needed evidence to prove it. So they confiscated and examined both men's cell phones. Typically when we get a phone, we go through an extraction process where we hook the phone up to a forensic computer and we extract the information from the hard drive of that phone. That's going to include something as simple as user settings to things like location history, telephone calls, chats, apps that you've used. There's a myriad of information that you can get from that. In fact, a lot of information vital to any murder investigation where the suspect was, what time he was there, who he was talking to, can be gleaned from a forensic examination of a cell phone. And Barabolt's phone was a potential gold mine of evidence. We were able to determine the um, location 
of the cell phone prior to the murder, the night of the murder, during the murder, and after the murder. And therefore, we can link the cell phone location with Mr. Barabalt. The examination showed both suspects' phones were on Captain Freddy's boat early on the morning of August 1st, just hours after the captain won big playing Kino. And those phones were also at the boat many times in the days that followed. But some questions remained. Who's holding the phone? Who's making the call? A lot of that stuff, you know, you could come up with a defense. You could come up with an excuse or an alibi. A combination of evidence solved that problem. The locations provided by both suspects' phones matched up to the second, with surveillance images of two previously unknown men getting on and off Captain Freddy's boat. Over the course of four days, I saw them come and go from the boat uh, a minimum of 10 times. Even though Richard Barabolt maintained his innocence, the most damning clue against him came straight from his own mouth through a voice search he did on his Google search engine. Between August 1st and August 4th, we were able to find uh, from Google several audio recordings in Mr. Barabolt's voice. Does bleach kill everything, including skin cells? That was very telling due to the fact that we found a gallon full of bleach where Mr. Silva was located. The evidence was overwhelming. Killy Av Warwick. There were many questions which he was asking Google to see if uh, the answers would be right there for him. Bolt Motor Mechanic in Warwick, Rhode Island. By now, the results from the forensic examination of Barabolt's knife had come in and confirmed what investigators already suspected. The blood was Captain Freddy's. There's really no other reason for his blood to be on that knife except that he was there at the time when Mr. Silver was murdered. Prosecutors believe Gunderway and Barabolt knew Captain Freddy had won a couple hundred dollars playing Kino. They snuck onto the captain's boat, expecting to overpower him and steal his money. On board, Barabolt held Captain Freddy at knife point, drawing the blood that remained on the weapon even weeks after the attack. When Freddy fought back, he was beaten, strangled, and left for dead. For the next four days, Barabolt and Gunderway tried to clean up the scene, doing Google searches on Barabolt's phone to see how they could best do the job. At every moment in the attempted cover-up, their phones and surveillance video documented their locations. In an attempt to hide the evidence, they drove Captain Freddy's boat out to sea and abandoned it, hoping this floating crime scene would never be found. But the macroburst storm, just days after the murder, did something they hadn't counted on. It caused the boat to float back towards the shoreline, where it was later found by the harbor master. Ultimately, Captain Freddy's decomposing body exposed the crime and tied Barabolt and Gunderway to his boat, to his corpse, and to his murder. But it was Barabolt's own voice looking for information on how to conceal the crime that sealed his fate. What towns in Rhode Island have garbage days, garbage pickup on a Friday morning? The Google search has a date, a timestamp, and a GPS coordinate location of that exact search. There was no denying, it was his voice asking that question at that specific time in that specific location. In 2017, Troy Gunderway pled guilty to second-degree murder 
and got 55 years in prison. Richard Big Red Barabolt, who elected, despite the evidence against him, to go to trial, got life plus 10 years, all for a murder that came down to just a few hundred dollars. Captain Freddy had a large and loving family, and they were very supportive of him and, and everything that he did. And it was very emotional. Those wounds are very much real and very much still fresh. And to have to hear the evidence and what happened that night and how these people just went on with their regular lives and didn't really give them much thought after they got rid of the boat, um, it's tough. It's always good to catch the bad guy. But in this particular case, that satisfaction is, is multiplied when you can go to the family and say, hey, listen, you know, unfortunate circumstances, but we were able to find the person responsible and they're going to pay for what they did. The electronic evidence that we were able to get definitely sealed the deal with the jury's eyes. Uh, a lot of uh, juries want the CSI fingerprints. They want that undeniable evidence. And just so happened we were able to get that. 